It was just after the resurrection of Jesus Christ as he gathered together with the disciples for some of those closing days of showing himself as the resurrected Savior. And as he gathered together with them, this is one thing that he told them. In Luke 24, he said, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses, which would be the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, which is that centerpiece of all the prophecy, and the Psalms and all the poetic books that are there, they must be fulfilled. All things written about me throughout the entire Old Testament would be fulfilled. So many people look at the Old Testament as that wrath of God and the New Testament, that love of God. In point of fact, it's been the love of God that's been posted throughout the entire scriptures. And I want you to see and have, again, confidence in the sovereign control of God that as Jesus told his disciples, I have been throughout the entire Old Testament. And so there is a thread of Christ for us to see. It's one of the reasons Jesus said to them in John 5 when he was before the crucifixion on earth, to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And Jesus confirms, it is these, the scriptures, that testify about me. Let's go on a little journey and look at how often, in fact, one has counted up to 564 references to the coming Messiah. We're not going to go that far, but we want to see that thread of truth that Christ is found. The beginning point, right after the sin of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15, I will put in between, between you and the woman, God said, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel, referencing the coming Christ and the bruising of Satan to be destroyed. We knew that Christ would come from the tribe of Judah of the Old Testament in Genesis 49. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Jesus also referenced that he will have a star that will lead some to discover him, as we know, as the wise men followed. And it's in Numbers 24, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. And the wise men being those students of astronomy, as well as literature, they had their cue at Christmas time. And they knew that this star was significant because Moses had written of it. We knew that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. We didn't know her name was going to be Mary, but Isaiah said 700 years before Jesus was born. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. And so it was, God with us. He would be born in the city of Bethlehem. As Mary and Joseph worked their way carefully to be part of that census, we see in Micah 5, 2, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which is another name for, Beth for Bethlehem in those days, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. 
And so he was born in Bethlehem. We knew that there would be someone who would pave the way for Christ. It turns out it was John the Baptist, and it was in Isaiah 40 that we are reminded that a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. And those were the words of John the Baptist as he cleared the way for the coming Savior. We had clues that it would be 30 silvers that would undermine and betray Christ by Judas. In Zechariah we read, I said to them, it is good in your sight. Give me my wages. If not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages, written 400 years before Jesus would have been crucified. We knew that he would have a grand entry. And it's in Psalm 118. This is what the people chanted on Palm Sunday. And Psalm 118 was a precursor to this event taking place. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. We knew how he would travel. Because Zechariah 9.9 tells us, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. No king would come in that way but prophesied 400 years before. This is part of the thread of Christ throughout the entire Old Testament. He would be crucified against two evil men on either side, but he would be buried in a rich man's grave. And so he is prophesied, and so it came true in Isaiah 53. His grave was assigned with the wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit, in his mouth. We knew that there would be the mockery on the cross in Psalm 22, but I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. And so the shoulder, so, shoulder, soldiers did. His hands and his feet would be pierced, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. They would cast lots. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And we knew that he would be raised from the dead. Psalm 22, fulfillment recorded in Hebrews 2 of his resurrection. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Psalm 16.10, again quoted in Acts 13 as fulfillment of the resurrection. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Jesus came and offered all of these in Isaiah 53. We are told why. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. So as Jesus spoke to his disciples after he was resurrected, he wanted them to finally understand his mission. And as Christ knew all of this in the Old Testament, he lived it out, portrayed it, fulfilled it, down to the finest details of 30 silvers and riding on a donkey, born in the city of Bethlehem. God says, yes, 
This was always my plan. I have everything under control. It may look confusing. There will be twists and turns that we don't expect. But God wants to be sure of one thing, that he is in control. And so out throughout the Old Testament, we look forward to Christ. In the New Testament, we discover Christ. And as we just sang, someday he will come. He will open that seal and fulfill history. If we can prove that the Old Testament is true by fulfilled prophecy, then we have the assurance of every prophetic word that is offered from here to the forward future is also going to be fulfilled because God has proven that he is in charge. Let's give thanks to God for his great power. Father, we thank you that you knew that we as sinful people would be in need of a Savior and that sprinkled and threaded throughout your word you positioned the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, the one and only Messiah, the only one, only one way to know you and be with you in heaven through Christ. Thank you, Father, that Jesus, knowing his destiny, never wavered, never failed, but had his vision and eyes set upon a cross that all would be pointing towards him and that crucifixion because that is our only hope. Thank you, God. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
that crucified Jesus Christ had always been in the foreground of the mind of God. As we're reminded in Psalm 22, they would pierce him in such a way. The nails that are put on a board like this were there ordained because there was a cross to be shaped and formed and created. And it was always God's plan that we would die on that cross until he, somewhere in the history past, said, No, son, Jesus you're going to take their place on that cross. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, we, we were deserving of death. We were deserving of crucifixion. We were deserving of paying the penalty for our own sins. But God says, no, I'm not going to do that. And so in Genesis 3, as we saw, he says, son, it is going to be your task. You're going to take the sins of Dave Mitchell and every other person who calls upon the name of the Savior. And as he had designed sovereignly since the beginning of time, there was going to be a cross to be formed, knitted together, threaded together, so that we could be connected with an almighty God and also be connected to one another. So we want to give thanks that God gives us symbols like the cross and he gives us symbols like the bread and the cup of communion as ways to say that I am connected with an almighty God. 
And before we receive those elements, I want to make sure that you're connected with God. This cross that Christ had always designed to die upon is there and available and a symbol of the forgiveness and the change that he can make in our lives so that we can be as holy as God is. But if you've never received that gift, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ as the one who died for you as payment for your sin, then you're still living under the penalty of your own sin. You're saying, I'm willing to go to that cross and die for my own sin. You don't need to do that. And so if there is any here who have never put their faith in Christ and allowed his death upon that cross to be payment for your sin rather than your own death as trying to make payment for your own sin, then Christ makes that offer to you now. So I invite any who would like to make that decision to pray with me for just this moment, then we'll receive communion. God in heaven, we come before you recognizing that it has always been your plan you had always had the outline of a cross throughout the Old Testament as the place by which your son Jesus can forgive us of our sins. And I know that so many of us have received that forgiveness. We've decided that we'd rather let Jesus take the payment of our sin than we ourselves. But Father, there may be some who have yet to say, God, I want Jesus to forgive me. He has died for my sins, and I need his forgiveness. If you would like to receive his forgiveness now, pray with me words like this. God in heaven, I am a sinner. I want to receive your forgiveness. Forgive me now, because I know Jesus died for me. Thank you. As I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We receive the bread as it symbolizes the body of Jesus, that body born in human flesh, so that he could take our place, so he could literally be a man on that cross to identify with us. And so we pass the bread and receive that as a symbol of his body for us. Hold the bread, and I'll come back, and we'll take it together.
again, in the words of Jesus Christ. And he said, this is my body to eat this in remembrance of me. When Jesus was crucified on that cross, there was much blood. For the piercing of the hands and the feet and the side. And it was that blood that Peter calls something that is so beautiful, precious, he says. And it's that blood that becomes the cleansing work of every sin that we've ever committed now and the potential forgiveness for every sin that we'll ever commit in the future. There is no sin too small, no sin too great that God does not seek to give to us the cleansing of that blood through the washing away of every sin that we've ever committed. And this cross is that means by which God said, this is how I'm going to do it. This is my plan. At that time, in that location, in that way, that was God's plan, that we could be connected to God with a new relationship, and that Paul says, we become as righteous as God is, which is just unfathomable. But in that moment of forgiveness, when there is no sin that's been cleansed by the blood, we have the righteousness of God. So we give thanks for that through this cup as it symbolizes that, yes, that blood has cleansed me from all of my sin. Let me give thanks. Father, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of holiness and righteousness. Thank you, Father, that you are the one who made it possible for us. And we take this cup and we remember the high price of our forgiveness that came through the blood of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.
Jesus spoke of this cup, and he said this cup is a cup of a new covenant. It's a new covenant. It's a new way that we have a relationship with God. As he said symbolically, through the blood of Jesus. So he said to drink this in remembrance of me. Let's give thanks. Father God, we again are thankful that you are willing to send your only begotten son to die upon that cross, to be buried, to be resurrected on that third day so that we could have this new covenant, this new relationship with you. God, thank you for that gift of life and the high price that was paid. May we be mindful and gracious in our response to let others know about that as well. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.